0: Well, that was last week, uh, and this is this week. So you might have been expecting to see Elroy this morning, uh, but he and Lennon are, w- are away at a wedding. My name is Tom Catrell. I'm one of the small group leaders here. Um, I'm going to try to give you some eye contact. Um. Okay. it's amateur... It's amateur day here. It's my fault. Um, I'm bridging, because the Senecas are planning to be away for the next two, in two weeks, I'm bridging the end of summer and the start of the fall. So Elroy was generous to offer me three opportunities to preach. And I'm thankful to him and to you for letting me do this. Um, And to tell you, if you haven't been, I really hope you are praying for whoever is doing this on a Sunday morning. I'm reading this. We belong to each other and how well we care for each other is really important to our life in Christ. So please remember to pray for me, uh, but also for the people uh, who lead in ministries, visible ministries. It's literally here, visible ministries like music, sound, greeting, and children's ministry, but also for the people that you will meet and talk to after the the sermon, after the service. Uh, We really do need to care for each other and not consider that the sermon is the point or the music is the point, but it is our life in Christ that is the point. Um, you'll be uh, surprised, I hope, to see as I get through the point of the sermon that uh, Quiana just made it. So um, it's really good when the Lord directs our, our uh, services because um, apparently we're not that great about doing that ourselves. How grateful I am, though, to everyone who is, uh, helping, and uh, especially uh, the technology challenges we face this morning. Thank you, brothers, uh, everyone who helped uh, make that work. I'd like to spend the next three weeks talking, uh, walking through Galatians with you. I can't possibly cover all of Galatians in three weeks. Elroy's normal practice and one of our core values here is expository preaching, to go through an entire book of the scriptures and follow the reasoning and insight offered by the author of the book. That might surprise you to hear that we do things that way because uh, we haven't really done that over the summer, and often in the summer series we don't. Uh, but that's our usual practice. But I just have these three weeks, and I really wanted to talk to you about Galatians, and so I'm going to do it a little differently than I would normally want to do this. You might wonder why I chose Galatians. If you recall anything about it, you know the letters written to churches that are tempted to return to the law, the Old Testament Jewish law. In fact, a lot of Christians really aren't sure what to do with the Old Testament and the Old Testament law. In some ways, that law looks pretty good. Um, There are some funny things in it. You're not supposed to uh, wear wool and linen together or um, have a cheeseburger. Um, Other things are really good. A bacon cheeseburger. I forgot the bacon. Sorry, brothers yeah, and sisters. Yeah. Um, other, uh, other things look really good, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. These are good. Shouldn't we be obeying these commandments? And if we have to give up ham and cheese and maybe have a, I'll go ahead and say it, a little snip here or there, um, is that really so bad? Some people do think that way. Sure, let's keep the law. After all, how hard can it be? To quote the people in Exodus, everything you have spoken, we will do. Or they think, we'll keep the ethical laws, but not the purity laws. Throughout church history, there's been a lot of confusion about this. There's still today, if you saw Chariots of Fire, uh, with Eric Liddell's refusal to run uh, an Olympic race on a Sunday, in the early 1900s, there was a tremendous debate about Sabbath laws and the Christian Sabbath. Uh, There was a worldwide conference held in Basel, Switzerland, imposing Christian Sabbath laws around the world. Do you know why your credit card is restricted to 20% interest? Usury laws, laws limiting interest rates on loans, were imposed by a state church, citing portions of Exodus. Even today, why the interest rate is restricted comes from laws like that. It's because certain laws remain in place. uh, They were attempts to legislate the Sinai Covenant. What do we do about these? Aren't they honoring to God? Doesn't Torah-observant behavior honor honor God? There is a movement today to return to so-called Jewish roots and observe, at least to some extent, Jewish law. Celebrate Jewish feasts, listen to Jewish music, eat kosher, wear Jewish jewelry. After all, isn't this the way God wants us to live? Isn't that the way the Old Testament is now what it's all about? Wise living? Some people in that movement have gone as we say in Galatians language, all the way, and become circumcised? Should we be listening to those voices? Don't worry, I know you know better than that. And I don't think that that is a concern for you. If I'm wrong about that, please come talk to me afterwards. Well, first, go read Galatians, and then then come talk to me. I know like all human institutions, there are certain rules and practices about what it means to be a Christian. They vary by different groups, and we live our lives by these rules. Maybe you have a rule about when or how much to pray, or to read devotions, or to go to community group, or to be generous to the poor, or cheerful no matter what happens, or, well, there's a long list. Uh, lots of rules, and I'm not interested in having particular that discussion. That's not my point. I chose Galatians for another reason entirely. It has to do with what you and I think about Christianity. What is it all about? How can we how we can do, how we can and do live life in Christ? The world probably looks pretty much the same to you day to day. I'm not sure it looks any different than the day before Christ died and the day after he rose. But something so profoundly wonderful happened that was the start of an entire new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth begin with the resurrection. The world is entirely, utterly, and fundamentally different after Christ suffered and died on the cross, was buried, and raised. His sacrifice atoned for our sins, restored us to the Father so that, we could, so that he would send the promised Holy Spirit to dwell in us We have something different from every kind of human institution. Any set of rules or practices. Life in Christ is not just another lifestyle for people who would like to live happier or more wisely. I participated in churches who for a long time thought if we would tell people that there is a better way to live in community, that somehow they would come to saving grace in Christ. And we must proclaim the gospel, not the good news of living a life together. We had to be rescued from uh, the present evil age. And that's um, where we're going to start this morning when I finally get to the scripture to read it. Um, but we're going to talk about everything is from the new life we have in this, through the Spirit. Now, this concept, and the reason I'm laying this groundwork and trying to um, give it some time to rest in you, is that it isn't easy to grasp. It wasn't even easy for Jesus' closest followers, and we'll see that in this letter. When you read it this week, and why not? It doesn't take long. When you read it, you will see that Peter and Barnabas get confused. If followers of Jesus, people who saw him turn water into wine, walk on water, feed multitudes, heal the sick, raise the dead, if they didn't constantly live in an awareness that everything, everything had changed, if they had to work everything through and be reminded about it and then challenged about it and then confronted by other believers in the body of Christ about it, then, well, I think we do too. I'm not different enough from those men and women who walked with Jesus. So that's my point. That's what the sermon is about. Life in Christ is not a new law or a great way to live, a wise way to raise your family, a nice social group to have over for dinner, or the way to be a nice person or a kindly neighbor. Some of those things may happen. But I want to shock you out of thinking that anything we do here is human, what we are doing is, well, okay, truly redeemed humanity, yes. Life in Christ is entirely the supernatural work of the given Holy Spirit promised throughout pages and ages of the Old Testament. You, your flesh, this present world, if you're in Christ, you died to that. And there's a new life in you, a new creation, The same power that spoke the world into being has spoken into your life to raise you from the dead. What we're doing here is not just a little meeting. It is a reminder and an invitation to live life in this new way. A new creation is transforming your life. The Holy Spirit was not sent to help you eat kosher, pick out certain ethical laws, or make the world slightly more friendly. The world was and is irrevocably fallen, and it had to be completely made new. And to be honest, your sinful self and my sinful self just isn't up to the task. So stop even imagining that anything we are doing as believers is something you can practice if you'll just try harder. You can't do this. We are entirely dependent to cry out to God for help. I don't know how many times in going through the Psalms you see David say, I cried to the Lord and he heard me. If you need help, that's where you go. Um, So every week in this series, I'm going to pick a little section of the letter to start with and then talk with you about it and then point you to some of the most, what I think are compelling verses in Paul's letter. And this week, we'll start with a greeting, which I should have read, but um, apparently I didn't. And the marvel of technology. So here's, um, can you, uh, the phone? Nope. Can we just mute it? You can turn to Galatians 1 and join me. Um, if you have read many of Paul's letters, you'll know there's a standard way he opens. It's, um, it's very friendly and warm. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Paul, Savanus, and Timothy to the Church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Galatians is different. And I'd like to talk about some of those distinctions so that we can see why. One of the wonderful things you should know about studying the scriptures is they're marvelously written. And the opening passage of Galatians and the closing pas- passage of Galatians form a beautiful inclusio, and they are bookends. And so Paul, what he says as he greets the Galatians is something that, is, um, that will give you an outline for this whole letter, what he's trying to say. He is really gifted at this. And um, he had a little help from the Holy Spirit, um, certainly because uh, we all need that. So Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, this um, this greeting is different in a, a number of different ways. There's, um, I have six, maybe seven ways that it's different. And first I'm going to show you the ways that it's different, talk to you a little bit about what that is, and then show you why it is that it had to be this way. So the first thing that Paul does that's different here is he says, not from men nor through man. And um, if you like, if you look for them, there are these little passages, these ways in which the scriptures will emphasize a point by by making what's called um, a chiasm, by, by saying something and then saying it again in another slightly different way. So he says, I'm sent not through man, nor, sorry, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus and God the Father. And so uh, this is the only letter that he opens this way. And his point is, this isn't a human institution. This is something fundamentally different, and so it's coming directly from God. Now we often—I mean, if you think about what the J- Jews would have considered to be authoritative, it would be something Moses said. And Paul is saying, "I speak from the same one—that is, that God who sent Moses is sending me." And um, and that's really important that you understand that we understand this message is not something crafted in a clever way. It is something sent directly by God. Uh, Much of the letter demonstrates that this is God's plan. There's a kind of, um, and, and that we need to recognize that in Paul's writing. The next thing he says is through Jesus Christ, whom God the Father raised from the dead. There are only two letters where Paul says that God raised Jesus from the dead in the greeting. And that is this letter, where he's concerned that people will try to adapt a Jewish lifestyle to live out their Gentile freedom in Christ, and Romans, where Gentiles and Jews have to find a way to cooperate and live together uh, in uh, a new life in Christ. So uh, this resurrection is an important uh, point that he'll make throughout the letter, that it is the resurrection that changed the world. It's the resurrection that started the Messianic age. It's the resurrection that made forever everything in the Old Testament obsolete and fulfilled by the work of Christ in sending the Spirit. Unless he sacrificed his life, we could not be atoned for, reconciled to God, and have the Spirit live in us. The whole Old Testament message and story is that God would dwell with us if only we could uh, with him. So how would we do that? Um, Only by the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, The culmination of the Old Testament, in my view, is the exile. It's in the middle of people, if you're going along with our chronological reading, it's in the middle of a time when Jerusalem is going to fall because people have not been listening They have been disobedient. They've been idolatrous. They've been doing what fleshly people do. And so the city has to go into exile. The promise of the Sinai covenant was obey my law, live in the land. The fulfillment of that is they couldn't, they couldn't obey the law, and they had to be exiled. And then in the middle of that, in Jeremiah 31, in Ezekiel, He promises a new spirit. I will take out a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The problem is our heart. And I'll try to illustrate that. But this new creation is uh, what Paul is getting at. The next is um, who gave himself. This phrase is not in any of the other letters uh, in in the greetings. Who gave himself for our sins. Uh, this gave himself or delivered himself over, as we'll say in the communion later, he was on the night in which he was delivered over or betrayed. Jesus delivered himself over for, um, f- to be a sacrifice, to reconcile us to God. And that's the only way we can be reconciled to God. That's the only way, not by obedience to the law, but by the work that Christ did at the cross. Himself for our sins is particularly that turn of phrase is particularly sacrificial language. When you read Exodus and you talk about and you read about a sacrifice being given and the elders and the people laying their hands on the bull or the goat or the lamb and confessing their sins over it, that is um, where the lamb would be sacrificed for all of the sins of the people. This is Jesus doing that for us. To rescue us out of the present age. To rescue us. Exodus 3 says that God will rescue his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of the present evil age. And this is an evil age. Just trying to make it better by putting Band-Aids on it doesn't work. There are lots of nice things we can do. There are lots of beautiful ways that we could want to live. But I I can't... Um, People, broken people, keep coming into my lives. Divorced people, abused people. uh, People who have um, suffered a great deal from their own sin and from the sin of what they have done to others. And it's because of our fallen, broken hearts. It would be nice to think we could live just a really happy life. But it won't be that way. I remember when we were young um, and uh, just getting married, We just said to each other, I really hope Jesus doesn't come back before we have a chance to have a family. And um, if I could go back and erase that prayer, (laughs) if Jesus could just come back now, um, uh, I've had my own sorrows and difficulties in life, um, and um, I'm sure you have too. And some of us have suffered a great deal, uh, some a great deal more than others. But we all live in an age where sin uh, is in the world and death through sin, our own and others, and it's an evil age. Jesus came to rescue us from that, to not make sure that you never get hurt, but to make sure that everything that does happen in our lives will be fashioned together for the glory of God. In the same way that Jesus bears the scars of the cross, you and I will bear the scars of living in this present age. And some of them never disappear. But by the grace of God and by the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, they can become marks, as Paul will say at the. As Paul will say at the end of the letter, <coughs> don't bother me anymore. I bear in my body the, bar- the marks, the stigmata of the Lord Jesus, and he was beaten and um, stoned to death and a lot of difficulties in Paul's life as a result of standing up for this gospel and uh, bringing it to us. And so I want to make sure that any way that I talk to you about this is true to someone who, the man who wrote this letter and the Holy Spirit that inspired it and the Lord Jesus who um, saved him and rescued him out of this present evil age. Then he ends with a doxology that I just love Paul's letters. I love him getting involved in a a truth, a theology, a spiritual truth, and then he gets so full of the Holy Spirit that he just exclaims, Glory be to God uh, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. This is the only letter that starts that way. So good things are coming. You might expect really good things from Paul all of this promise, but if you know you'll know the next verse isn't so happy, so we're going to wait for next week to get to the not so happy verse but um uh i I just i, I want to talk a little bit about what happens to us um, when we think that the law or or something will give us a a place in christ so let me um let me turn to Matthew, can you turn it back on and see if um, see how if it's any better? Okay. So I will um I will fill in the blanks here. So in Matthew 5, 7, Jesus says, Don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so this is where people who get s- who stray into torrent observant beha- Torah observant behavior begin, and they say, well, Jesus said you should obey the Old Testament law, so you should. And um, they just haven't read the Bible. So, um, uh, Jesus said that that would be true until all was, you can, you can, that's the end of that. So, um, uh, until all was fulfilled. So, so what did he mean, uh, all was fulfilled uh, we know that that happens at the cross. So I'm going to illustrate this in uh, something out of the Gospel of Mark, and uh, it's the most shocking verse in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, it, you can turn to it. It's in Mark 7. And let me lead you up to it uh, by telling you what's happening. Um, Mark Mark's Gospel is, uh, by uh, historic record, uh, Peter's, um, testimony, and uh, Mark was a disciple, especially of Peter. And uh, let me just tell you what's happened in in this. We're, we're headed for Mark seven fourteen. I'll read it so you know what's um, what's coming. He called the people to him again and said, "Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered." the house and left the people, his disciple asked him about this parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? And then there's this parenthetical remark. Thus he declared all foods clean. What? I thought he said the Torah had to be observed forever and ever and ever. And he just told you you could eat whatever you want. So, how does this work? He said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. How, how Jesus gets to this point is that he just fed 5,000 Jewish people in the north part above the Sea of Galilee, and then he sent the disciples off to go to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowds and he prayed. And then uh, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the storm, Jesus came walking to them on the water. And they were terrified. Uh, this is back in um, Mark 6. Let me, um, let me read that because um, it's important to the context. Um, it's verse uh, 51 of Mark 6. Then he climbed into the boat with them. The wind died down. They were completely amazed. Four, here's why. They were completely amazed. Here's a guy walking on the water, and it's not a spirit, and it's not a f- phantom, it's not a ghost. It's a man. And he's walking, and, G- and they know he's a man. There's no mystery about this. He is human, and um, and yet he is God incarnate, and he has authority over the wind and the waves, and he walks on them. He fed the flock in the wilderness the same way that Yahweh fed the children, manna, the children of Israel manna in the wilderness. Jesus is showing his disciples he is God himself. And they don't understand. And who can blame them? And then, so this is how Mark dis- explains it. They were completely amazed because they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So if you see the point here, and you see the point that Jesus just gave us, it's the human heart, and there is nothing about law that transforms the human heart. And so at that time, what Jesus is doing, what he had done was sent them off to Bethsaida, and they hadn't arrived. Instead, at the beginning of uh, the seventh chapter, you see they land in Gennesaret, and they have to have this conflict with the Pharisees about what the law is all about. And Jesus has to show them before they can go to the Gentiles. Immediately after telling them that it's the human heart that has to be dealt with, he will go to Tyre and Sidon. Now he would put them in the boat coming out of feeding the 5,000 to go to Bethsaida because that's where, uh, that was a Gentile city. But they hadn't arrived there. And the reason is that they didn't yet understand who Jesus is. And what the work had to be. So, um, that's kind of a long way of making my point. The law could never. And, and Jesus' disciples could not understand that. You, you think, well, come on. Uh, he told them that. He showed them that. Uh, he said that so clearly. But you know, Peter had to be given a vision in Acts 7. Uh, of of um, a sheet coming down. And um, then you could go to the Gentiles. So then you could go. So that's the same way here. Unless we're rescued from the present evil age by the work of Christ, then um, we can't know the gospel and the freedom that there is in Christ. So the answer... um, Sorry, you might see that I've had to uh, throw away pages, and that's a good thing. So... um, so the answer to my struggle with sin, your struggle with sin, the problem in the human heart, and remember, that's, that's exactly what Jesus chastises the Pharisees for. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Why is our heart far from the Lord? And the answer uh, is, we'll talk about that next week, but um, the answer to my struggle with sin to your struggle with sin, is not a better law. I, I uh, I'll tell you this: uh, there was a large church in town that was trying to help the men in the um, in the group um, have purer thoughts. So whenever they were thinking, p- they were were a rubber band around their wrist, and whenever they thought an impure thought, they were supposed to snap it to so punish themselves. Operant conditioning. So psychology writ large, and they're supposed to change their way of thinking. Now, um, uh, the amusing thing is to be, uh, sorry, it's maybe not that funny, but it it was to be um, in a meeting (laughs) when um, a particularly attractive uh, woman walks by and (laughs) you're all (laughs) river snapping. So good for them, but it doesn't work. Um, uh, You're, you know, It does for a while. And you can change a little bit. But the answer to our struggle with sin is to love Jesus more. That's the answer. You're tempted to sin. You have, um, we all are, anger, lust, envy, all of these things. I've seen in my four decades of walking with the Lord, I've seen many people turn away. And they turn away because of the lust in their heart. Because they want money, they want power, they want, and you can just go through the list. And the only way, you could say, well, I'll just not look at that. I'll just not pay attention to that. But your heart will, your heart will need, you need a new operation. You need a new heart. And you can't do that. What you can do is ask God to fulfill the promises in Scripture. Remember how Elroy's been teaching us that what God loves in our prayers is that we ask what he has promised in the scriptures. If you read the end of John 17 uh, from last week's sermon, you'll know there's no way we could fulfill what God has called us to, to be the body of Christ to one another. There's no way that we can live a life that honors the Lord unless we love the Lord more than we love our sin. I've watched men struggle with pornography and see that the only hope they have is to love Christ more, is to soak in the scriptures and read 1 John and know that when we confess our sins, he cleanses us, but he also frees us to walk with him. That's our only hope. The world is fundamentally different. It's not about rules and following. It is about loving Christ. And in that way, becoming uh, more Christ-honoring in our behavior. There are practices that nurture this love, reading the Word, praying, singing to Him. But if the Christian life is, yeah, I could do that, I can read my Bible, I'll pray, I'll share the good news, you'll be able to follow these practices for a while. Some people do them remarkably well for a while. But in the end, they will not sustain you in a lifelong journey in your whole race to follow Christ. They will make you feel good like when you drive by a speed trap and you don't you realize you weren't speeding so you aren't going to get a speeding ticket. It may have happened to someone I know recently. Um but you don't have to wait long when you talk to people to find out what they really love. Husbands love their cars. Yeah. <laughs> Wives love their children. Uh, Single men love technology. And single women, well, I'm not sure I'm able to explain that one. Um. So the answer to sharing the gospel, I was not going to say that one, but, you know. The answer to sharing the gospel, living the Christian life, it's not just that we've been commanded. When you love Christ and care about the internal destiny of people, it will just come out of your mouth. The trick is when you want to think when you want to say something about Jesus, just go ahead and say it. And if he lives in you, have courage and say it. Christian life is not a set of rules. The area of the era of the law is over. You have been rescued from the present evil age if you are in Christ. There's a new kind of operating principle. And it's what the law was sent to do. So I call you to know and confess the truth of our life in Christ. In Galatians 2.19 and 20, this is what I would encourage you to reflect on these, these words this week. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me to rescue me from the present evil age. In communion, we commemorate that we are crucified with Christ and we identify with the spiritual reality that we have died with Christ to be raised to a new life. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment. So if you belong to Jesus, confess him as Savior, are alive in Christ and rescued out of the present evil age, you're invited to remember his work to rescue you. So I invite someone to come help with communion. (laughs) Andrew, thank you. Please stand.